0: Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad that you're joining us again with your week with St. Luke's podcast as we move deeper into Mark and understanding and meeting Jesus in new ways. We're looking at chapter three and looking at a a Jesus who is a little bit more emotional than we ever understood, a Jesus who, who feels things deeply and invites us to do that as well, often inviting us to be somewhat rebellious in our feelings so that we can stand up for the kingdom of God. So let's listen to Reverend Dr. E.B. Arnold, as she takes us on an emotional journey with our Messiah, Jesus.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to this third lecture on the Gospel of Mark, where we explore a very emotional Jesus. I think this, in this lecture, we will meet an aspect of Jesus that many of the other Gospels actually downplay. And that is the fact that Jesus is a very emotionally reacting self in the world. That he doesn't just do miracles or perform signs. He doesn't just teach or even rebuke. But that he feels these things very intensely in his own self. Let's start looking at some of the emotions that Mark's Jesus feels. For instance, this very first time we meet a feeling Jesus— A leper comes to him, begging him, and kneeling in front of Jesus, he says to him in chapter 1, verses 40 and 41, if you choose, you can make me clean. The text says that Jesus was moved with pity. Some manuscripts of Mark actually say he was moved with anger. I'm not sure what they have to do with each other, but something inside of Jesus, whether it was compassion or pity or even anger at the fact that a human being had to live in this kind of illness, made Jesus, prompted Jesus to stretch out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. I want to demonstrate a very interesting thing that I think will continue to meet in this emotional Jesus is that there's a very close connection between Jesus's feelings and Jesus's actions now what's very interesting is both Matthew and Luke keep this story from Mark but they erase the mention of Jesus's emotional state Of course, in both of their stories, Jesus says, I do choose. And Jesus does stretch out his hand and he does touch him and heal him. But only Marks tells us that the motivation behind it is that Jesus was moved by his feelings. He was moved with compassion. He was moved, or maybe with anger or frustration at this situation. Another miracle that we see unfortunately comes from a different kind of emotion and this isn't what prompts necessarily jesus's healing but it certainly tells us about what kind of a state that he's in when he does it in chapter three of mark's gospel it says that jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand they all of these religious people there in the synagogue watched him to see whether he would cure him on the sabbath So that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And then the text says, Jesus looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. This text actually shows us something very interesting, not just that Jesus is perceiving what's going on and he himself has emotional response to it, but that Jesus is actually feeling two emotions at the same time. If we needed any evidence that Jesus was indeed fully human, I think we might be able to point to this passage. And see that indeed Jesus is fully human because we humans understand that you can feel a lot of emotions at once. And here Jesus is angry at the crowd because they would prefer to not have a healing on a Sabbath day because it's work. But it says he was grieved at their hardness of heart, meaning it made him sad that they would rather see people suffer on the Sabbath then see someone do an act of kindness. In fact, the way the text is structured, it almost seems as if Jesus' anger is coming from his grief. And I think that's something a lot of human beings can relate to, that relationship between anger and grief. In fact, the Greek word here for grieve actually means to grieve with. Now, isn't that interesting? Of course, we translated it, he was grieved, um, because it doesn't seem like all these people in the synagogue are grieved at the situation. But I do think that that is an interesting perspective. Perhaps they didn't realize their need for grief, or perhaps they weren't recognizing it. See, the one who I don't think was grieved was the one who was made whole the one who was healed and who now had a hand that he previously couldn't use to feed himself or to work or to hold his children, now is a whole and healed hand. I wonder if Jesus was angry at them for wanting to prevent someone's healing, but he was grieved because they couldn't recognize their own need for it. They also couldn't recognize that they as a body of faith They, as a community, would of course be stronger and they would be whole when they cared for the people who were suffering amongst them. We have to remember that Jesus' vision of wholeness was never meant for any one individual, but rather this idea of shalom that the entire community be reconciled to each other. And we can see this throughout not just Mark's gospel, but all of the gospels do stress this important facet of Jesus that he really believed in bringing all the people in from the outside places. And maybe what this congregation in the synagogue that day didn't recognize wasn't just the man's need for healing, but their need for him to be healed as well so that their own community could be a place of healing, of safety, of celebration. Another emotion that I think is very interesting that we see in Jesus, and of course this also gets to the humanity of Jesus. When Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, he said to them, Prophets are not without honor. I mean, everyone loves a good prophet, right? (laughs) Except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 of Mark say, Jesus could do no deed of power there in Nazareth, except he did lay his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was gobsmacked. (laughs) Jesus was surprised. He was astounded that these people refuse to trust. Even when they see people being healed, even when they see miracles being performed, he's amazed because as a human being, he knows what it means to live and bear witness to things that go on around you. Not only are they not trusting Jesus— They're not trusting their neighbors who have been healed and who testify it. They're not even trusting their own senses that see, that hear, and maybe that even desire these kinds of miracles. must have been very strange for Jesus, but Jesus was amazed. He was surprised. I think sometimes we can get into this idea that Jesus is fully God, which we certainly as Christians believe, but... We tend to think that that means he knew everything and was aware of everything. And I'm not sure that the text lets us think that in matters such as this, but that Jesus' humanity, um, by him agreeing to be human, he agreed to certain things being outside of his immediate knowledge. And so he was amazed at their disbelief. So the next time that someone just surprises you with something really strange, they say, know that Jesus is in your shoes as well. We've talked about this before in our very first passage that we dealt with about Jesus's compassion. But here I want to talk about it because he uses this word several times, or Mark uses this word several times. Not only did Jesus have compassion when he met the man with leprosy who said, you could heal me if you chose. But he also sees a great crowd that's pursuing him and his disciples, and Jesus is tired. In chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus and his disciples need to get away, to pause for a minute, to have a meal, to talk with each other, and the crowds just persist. They just want healing from this Messiah. They just want a word. They just want a touch. And so even though Jesus is tired, and even though we have seen a frustrated Jesus before, the feeling that Jesus is feeling at this moment, it says, As he went ashore, he saw this great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The text then goes on that Jesus repeats this and says, I have compassion for the crowds because they're hungry. They've been following me. They have nothing to eat. Now, what's very interesting about this word compassion is it actually means to feel in the gut. It's like a punch in the gut. It's like a blow to the stomach that when Jesus has compassion, it's like he has been punched in the gut. It hurts him down in the middle of his stomach. The thought that someone else is without food, the thought that someone else is without a shepherd. Literally, he feels it in his body, in his gut. And I think that's another very interesting aspect of Jesus's emotions throughout Mark is that when Jesus has these emotive feelings, they're not just in some cerebral part of his mind, he feels them in his body, just like you and I do. Just like when we are anxious, we feel the sweat on our palms, Jesus also embodied his emotions as well. Just like when we revolt in horror at something that seems disgusting, so when Jesus sees someone who's forced to live outcast from society, he reels from it. He has compassion deep down in his gut because he knows that's not the way it's supposed to be. And as always, Jesus's emotions always spur him to do these acts, whether it's compassion or whether it's healing or rebuking, Many of these emotions that Jesus feels aren't just in response to situations, but they're the motivation out of which he acts, which is a really good word because we tend to uh, very much demonize emotions often in the way that we speak. And people talk about, oh, well, I was really using my heart there and not my head. Or people say, oh, well, that's just a lot of emotion, but not a lot of logic. And we, we tend to pit those against each other. And yet, when we look to Jesus as our model, we see someone that is very comfortable with having these very strong emotions and with allowing those emotions to motivate and inspire certain behaviors. The beautiful thing is Jesus's behaviors are usually there to support, to heal, and to help others or to stand up against something that's wrong. So in this sense, I feel that Jesus is so very instructive to us as human beings because when we look at Mark's Jesus, we see a very emotional Jesus, but one that is no less very purposeful in everything that he does, but he does it with heart. This is one of my favorite Uh, particular passages in Mark's gospel because this is the moment I feel that Mark's Jesus really identifies with many parents. (laughs) Now, interestingly enough, in this passage, Jesus has just done a miracle where he multiplies enough fish and loaves to feed over 4,000 men, and who knows how many more when you count the women and children. And the Pharisees came to Jesus in chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Jesus has just had it, and this sighing deeply in his spirit May not be specifically naming exactly what the emotion is, but we couldn't pass over this as a deeply emotional response. Jesus is beyond frustrated. And the sighing deeply in his spirit almost seems to say that he is going down as deep as he can into his reserves in order to garner enough patience. To deal with these people who refuse to see the miracles that are right in front of their eyes. What more signs do you want than that the hungry are fed and that the sick are healed? So I think we've all been at that moment, um, just as Jesus was, where we have been (laughs) over-questioned. And where it seems that the answer to whatever questions they're asking are very plain to be seen. And so this impatience, this losing the last bit of willingness to give someone else the benefit of the doubt certainly seems a deeply human emotion that right here Jesus is very much embodying. Here's another one that I think is very interesting because, again, it brings Jesus's body and Jesus's emotions all into play at the same time. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And this is in Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 14. But his disciples spoke sternly to these people, and when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is such to these that the kingdom of God belongs." That word indignant here in the Greek actually has the component meaning to shudder or quiver with rage. Being so angry and frustrated that you just start to shake. Again, any parent knows this emotion. (laughs) But people are bringing children to him and we can see that Jesus is obviously on board with this because it's exactly to the very least of these that he's come. And so when he sees his disciples pushing the children away, but never mind, they have no problem letting wealthy adults come to him, Jesus becomes indignant. He begins to shake. He is so upset with his disciples. And again, he is upset on behalf of these children. He's upset on behalf of their parents. These parents are bringing their children to the most healing presence and the presence that seems to be the most intimately connected to god and where else would a loving parent want to bring their child and so jesus is so upset with his disciples that he stands there quivering maybe hoping he's not going to lose it in front of all these kids and their parents and says do not stop them Because if I had to choose, I almost feel Jesus is saying, if I had to choose, the kids are going to come in first before you do, disciples. If I had to choose, they get in and you don't. But rather, Jesus also uses this as a teaching moment and says, no, no, no. Jesus will go on to explain, this is actually what you have to be like in order to truly understand what we're doing here. And you have to understand why. These children are so important in order for you to fully understand the mission of Jesus. This is another beautiful passage, and this is the one I was telling you about. As soon as he fusses at them for uh, trying to send the children away, up comes a wealthy young man with no problem. No one tries to stop him from coming to Jesus. And he begins to question Jesus, and it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So they're having this conversation, and there is something about this young man that Jesus just deeply resonates with. And just looking at him and listening to him talk about his faith and his desire to follow, Jesus immediately loves him. Again, it's so interesting that the other Gospels clean up this emotive language around Jesus. We don't get this, he loved him. With the passage in the children, we don't get in other gospels that Jesus becomes indignant. We don't hear him shaking with grief. Whenever a congregation protests a healing, instead of celebrating the one who's been healed. It's very interesting, and I, I've often wondered what this could possibly mean. And I wonder if there isn't some sense in the other gospels that in order for Jesus to be seen as a more deified version of himself, one that is um, higher on the Christology line, as we would say, that he's so divine that it must mean that he wasn't as impulsive as a human being, which emotions are what give us our impulses, right? Right. But I think it's interesting and important that we also note that this actually makes Jesus very much more like God when we look in the Hebrew Bible. There we meet a God who gets angry at people. We meet a God full of compassion. We meet a God who um, just decides, I'm going to end all these people, who's somewhat impulsive, in fact, we even in the Hebrew Bible, in the story of Noah, meet a God who is sorry he did something. It says he wished he hadn't made human beings. So, Jesus, as this emotional Messiah, doesn't actually make himself less godlike. But when we read Mark as a continuation of the story in the Hebrew Bible, we actually see the God that was walking in the Garden of Eden and who missed his friends when he couldn't find them. We find that same emotional God here in the human being of Jesus. And finally, the final place in the text where we get any kind of emotional um, status update from Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 14, verses 32 through 35. And the text reads, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be so distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Stay here and stay awake. And going on a little farther, he threw himself on the ground. And prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Once again, just like Jesus being both grieved and angry at the same time, here we see him distressed and agitated. And he says, I am deeply grieved even to death. Meaning Jesus has... This intense feeling that he's so sad and so grieved that he thinks the grief might kill him before the cross ever does. That is the intense moment of grief for Jesus. Knowing that the sadness of being alone and looking at what he must do without help, without support, without encouragement. This is the moment he says, I am deeply grieved. And I think it might kill me. It hurts so much. What's very interesting, too, about this particular uh, expression, I am deeply grieved even to death, isn't exactly the words that Jesus says. I want to remind you of this programmatic statement that Jesus made back in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, as a ransom for many. That word life is actually where we get the term psyche. It's not life meaning your being alive, it's the thing that makes you alive, his psyche. And the way it's translated is a couple different ways. It can mean the immaterial or immortal soul, meaning, you know, that spark that makes you who you are, your spirit. But I love um, looking into a Greek dictionary, and this is also a great way to understand the term. In Greek, it's pronounced piche, um, but we, we can call it psyche. The conscious self or personality as the center of emotions, desires, and affections. In other words, the emotional self. So often when we've read this statement that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, we often think that he means to die as a ransom for many. He's going to give up his being alive. But here he actually says he's going to give his emotional self, his desires and affections, his very soul as a ransom for many. And I think what we've seen today through Mark's emotional Jesus, is that's one of the ways that he gives himself. That's one of the ways that he purchases freedom and life for others, is by being emotionally available and not being afraid or hesitant to experience any of the emotions, whether they're the uncomfortable ones, like compassion or fury or anger, or whether they're the beautiful ones like love and connection. Jesus doesn't refrain from any emotion when it comes to connecting with other people, when it comes to healing and restoring other people, or when it comes to rebuking in order to heal a community. Jesus doesn't shy away. What's interesting about that is, so, like I said, so often we think of emotions— as being this very visceral liability, that you'll have emotions and they'll make you do something that you'll regret. And yet, Jesus shows us that it actually takes a great deal of courage to have authentic emotions and to allow them to motivate us to do good works and to actually be the kind of people in the world that also purchase other people's redemption. Ways that we can help communities and people be healed. Ways that we can help them find freedom. That's what he means by giving his life. It's not just what he's going to do on the cross, but what he does in having anger and grief meet. It means what he does when he allows himself to become indignant on behalf of children who are pushed away. The Son of Man came to give his whole life not just his death, not just his being alive, but his whole emotional self as a ransom for many. And wouldn't you know it, that in that passage we just read in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus says, I am deeply grieved even to death, it actually says, My psyche is deeply grieved even unto death. My life my emotional self, everything that makes me, me, feels like it's dying. I think it's important for us to see this moment in Gethsemane as actually part of Jesus's crucifixion. Like I said, in Mark's gospel, this will be his very last, his final emotional status update And he says, it feels like my soul is dying. So he came to give his whole being, his whole life, in order to purchase freedom for others. And so I wonder if that means he's giving his emotional life, his whole being, his whole soul, in order for other people to find freedom, what do we do with that freedom? I wonder if there isn't some imperative then for us to also find emotional freedom ourselves. For us as God's people to embrace the feelings that we have in response to things like hurt and sorrow. Or maybe we find new ways to celebrate when we have joy and we don't hold things so close and so private, but maybe it means it's time for the people of God to, to not be, hold their cards so closely. Maybe we don't need to just have a good scripture verse to quote. Maybe we don't just need to have a well-thought-out theological script. Maybe we also need to be deeply in touch with the feelings that God gave us and to ask ourselves, how can these feelings be motivation and inspiration for us to continue the work of the Messiah we followed? who gave his whole life as a ransom for many. I am so grateful that you chose to join us today, and I can't wait to see you next week when we talk about Mark's secret Messiah and how he weaves his secrecy motif throughout his entire story. Until then, be blessed.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, our St. Luke's podcast. This is our office hours time together, again, with our dear friend, Dr. E.B. Arnold, who is going to talk with us about our next chapter of Mark and talk a little bit about Jesus and his feelings, right? (laughs) Yes. So where are we headed today, E.B.?
1: Well, we're in the third chapter of Mark, and this is a great place to talk about an aspect of Jesus that sometimes we don't talk about, and that's the emotional Jesus. Uh, What's really interesting is that Mark, one of his hallmarks, if you will, (laughs) is that he likes to comment on what Jesus's internal state was like. So for instance, today in chapter three, Jesus is healing a man in a synagogue who has a withered hand. But of course, as always, there are some who are opposed to him doing this because it's on the Sabbath. And they feel that somehow that's a violation of the commandment not to work. And Jesus asks them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill? And they were silent. And then Mark tells us he looked around at them with anger He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And so it's interesting that then he heals the man. He's healing this man as he's angry and grieved. Um, And we get just this really disturbed Jesus who even acts out of some of these disturbed emotions. Are we uncomfortable with such a visceral Jesus? (laughs) Just this emotional reacting Jesus? Is that something that is hard to accept?
3: Well, I think for me, this has become these last few weeks the 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 theme that this is again a Jesus I can relate to. Um, That comes off of that pedestal that we continue to put Jesus on. That comes to us as a fully emotional human being as well, and uh, and that um, he responds. Sometimes in the way I would. Well, I, mean, I can't heal anybody, but you know that that he's he's responding right and in, in reacting. Um, so I, again, for me, it's it. We have another aspect of Jesus that that I can relate to. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. I, it's surprising because it, I, I think it is a Jesus that. The, the sort of broader we often is uncomfortable with of Jesus having these deep, um, you know, reactions and, and uh, maybe we're okay with Jesus being happy or compassionate, but maybe not angry or disgusted or whatever those those different emotions would be. Um, but it's interesting that that does surprise us. Um, last year during sort of the, the pandemic, um, the group that I work with with Flexio Divina, we did a lot of Psalms and Jesus was steeped in Hebrew scriptures and mm-hmm. there's a lot of feelings in there. <laughs> So, so, uh, so yes, I think it is surprising. I think it is discomforting, but it's interesting that it is um, because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Jesus would have known all of that and, and would have seen those as normal sort of responses. So in some ways, Mark is
1: carrying on some of that that tradition too, I suppose. Yeah, especially in the sense of, I guess, how we think about God. So one of the things that scholars wonder is that did Mark have like a lower Christology, meaning that he saw Jesus as more human but didn't necessarily equate him with being God. And so we do see a hesitancy um, that with some of the other gospels, they're either quicker to say that Jesus is divine or that Jesus is, is God himself. Uh, Mark starts out a little slower. And I wonder is it because they were afraid that these emotions subtract from Jesus's divinity? Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about he's relatable right. and I think that's absolutely true, but is that a problem? Like does that make, does Jesus being more human make him less God?
3: Uh, you know, what's interesting is oftentimes when I think about uh, people, uh, I, I typically have a higher Christology, but I relate to Mar- Jesus here in Mark all the time. <laughs> but um, when, I, when I think about uh, a lower Christology, it's oftentimes uh, Jesus is my friend. I have a friend in Jesus. 90s had a lot of good songs about low (laughs) Christology Jesus. And yet this is not that. It is a Jesus on the ground. We've said before the last few weeks, rough and tough, uh, emotional here. Um, But it's not this friend... Jesus. It's this this human Jesus that confronts us. So that's where I think it can become problematic for people. Uh, a low Christology, Jesus, my friend. Oh, that's great. That's fine. That's wonderful. I have lots of friends on Facebook, but Jesus,
1: <laughs> right? But Jesus but, isn't one but, of them. No, <laughs> he's not one of them.
3: But Jesus, a lower Jesus on the ground that is um, even more human and mm-hmm. confront, confronts us, That that I think it can be really difficult.
2: Maybe yeah. we're okay with Jesus. We, we like the Jesus who can handle our feelings, but when Jesus starts to have feelings, oh, that's he, l- l- a different little, kind a of a thing. Human. I'm looking at him in a different way. Mm. Um, Jeremy, you'll remember there was a day that you and I were chatting with a, a young man in our church um, and asked uh, us the question, can d- do pastors hold grudges? Yeah. it yeah. was almost <laughs> a year. This, it, <laughs> it was about was a year almost, ago. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. that was his question. Do past can pastor, do pastors hold grudges? And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we said, well, what do you think? Well, I wouldn't think you, you do. Mm-hmm. And we all laughed and laughed. <laughs> um, so I think there's probably some of that of, of how we see Jesus and what we're comfortable with. It's so
4: interesting not wanting, wanting a Jesus that can take your feelings, but not wanting to see Jesus express the full range of emotion because I think the Jesus we see in Mark is like both uh, permission giving and instructional. Because oh, Jesus expresses these emotions and it gives us space to feel those things too. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's instructional in the way that uh, what is Jesus angry with? What is Jesus frustrated with? He's angry with these people standing in the way or questioning the work Mm -hmm. of God. Um, And I think what's so beautiful about it is he would have been just as angry if somebody was standing in the way of those folks who were questioning receiving the work of God, right? Right, And so what's what's really happening, what's really there, it's not just Jesus being angry, there's more there, you know?
0: He was frustrated with kingdom issues, Mm -hmm. kingdom of God issues, whereas... You know, we like to get frustrated about things that have nothing to do with the kingdom (laughs) of God in the church. Um, But it's interesting. I also think what what people may be reacting against this emotionally reactive Jesus that we see is that we want to consider Jesus to be this fully matured. Measured response, even keeled, and that that somehow is our understanding of God, and the and that equates with divinity. But if you read if if like we said earlier that this is like the first five books, Mm -hmm. um, if the Gospels, and we begin with Mark and Genesis, we see a God that is emotionally reactive too. Amen. And and so you know, I mean, God is gonna not just. I mean, yes, He clothes Adam and Eve, but He shuts the. Garden with burning flames and share and Mm -hmm. and he he's like, yeah. I mean, there's 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 always a a thing about just just love, love, and like I'm gonna, you know, pillars of salt, and yeah. He's an emotionally reactive, dramatic (laughs) God, and to think that God is measured, I think, and to equate that Jesus's lack of measurement is a lack of maturity in his divinity is to put God in a really, really, really yeah. I would say uh, not just even a Western, even Eastern culture box Mm -hmm. of how the divine Mm -hmm. should be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think, yes, I relate to it too. I'm I'm an ENFP. I'm an emotionally reactive. I'm an Enneagram (laughs) 8. So I like this Jesus. Um, But I also recognize that this is that God that cannot be measured Uh and is mysterious. And we better be ready because God can and do what God wants to do.
4: Mm-hmm. And not only that, Jen, like you said, it shows uh, this, this box that we fit God in as far as how God is supposed to operate. It also shows how we uh, view emotions yes. and how we mm. think emotions, where we think emotions belong in our lives and in our culture. Keep that to yourself. Right, right. right. Don't kind of like what you were saying, saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Emotion,
2: emotions equal weakness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Em- women are more emotional, so women mm-hmm. are weak. I mean, it's that, it's that mm-hmm. mythology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. our culture and, and many cultures have taught and, and we, we connect those things. Well,
0: and it's interesting because we say those things. So we, for clergy from St. Luke say those things, but if people get too emotional in worship and, and are too Pentecostal, we worry about that too. So like, where, yeah. like, where is emotions appropriate? We're like, Oh, be your authentic self. Da, 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 da. Don't get too crazy in worship. And don't dance the, like in your don't underwear. Don't dance on your underwear yeah. like David, you know <laughs> I mean? Like, Isn't it interesting Please. how we, like, you know,
4: we do,
2: <laughs>
4: we, do
0: talk, we do talk out of both sides of our mouths sometimes yep. mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. not only who we are and what we expect, mm. um, but
1: who God is.
3: Mm. And we get cynical and suspect too, right? Yeah, so we get, so oh. like, oh, know, And
1: that issue of and who God is, um, it's really interesting to me because we tend to, like you said, when we see emotion and we think, oh, we can't attribute that to God, even though clearly the, the Bible, both Old and New Testament, give us this extremely emotional God we also know that we're made in the image of the divine. And so I think it's completely appropriate that what if we were to consider our emotions as not what makes God look like us, and that's, we're in danger of lowering Jesus's Christology, but what if that emotional range is what makes us like God? What what has fashioned us in his image and given us the range of expression that God has? Mm -hmm. Uh, So rather than being a liability, it's an asset. Absolutely. It's what we talked about in Advent with
0: Eve that, that, you know, we, we talk about Eve as original sin and the one who made the first mistake, but what if we reverse that conversation to understand she's the first one with full agency that uses free will. Mm -hmm. And yes, Mm -hmm. she uses it to become the creator instead of the co-creator, but, but we reverse that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to reverse that understanding. Um, We are made in the image of God, which means, yeah, we react to the world, Emotional or thinking-wise, the way God reacts to us, and a hundred thousand million times more.
3: Yeah, because if 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 we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human, Mm -hmm. that fully aspect needs to be all of what we are. But again, that that causes people to be really afraid because. Uh, I do hold grudges. And does that mean Jesus did? Or right, like that gets messy and sticky and um, this emotional Jesus. But again, he's got to be fully human.
1: Well, and that's such a great point because what's really interesting is when Jesus is asking the people in the synagogue, what is lawful? What's really upholding the law? Is it to do good or to do harm? And of course, they're not asking him to do harm. They're just saying, don't do good. And Jesus (laughs) is saying there's no dichotomy, right? And then he said to save a life or to kill. Well, again, they're not saying kill him. But what's really interesting about that word life Mm -hmm. that Mark uses, it's not the word for living like a lifespan. It's the word psyche, which Mm. is one's emotional self. Mm. And so what would have happened if he hadn't healed the man when the man knew Jesus could have? He's saying, I could harm himself, his self, not necessarily end his life, but I could end what he thinks is possible for himself Mm -hmm. or for the life that he is living Mm -hmm. and feeling and thinking. And so I think it's interesting that Jesus really ups the ante. It's not about uh, this preserving life or giving life isn't about making sure people don't die, but making sure they fully live. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what does that look like in the community as we understand our mission in the world. Well, and to say,
0: I will not give their psyche their full full life, like you said, because it's not, prescri- I'm not allowed to do it within a 24-hour period. Like, what do, What harm does that do when we live into rules and regulations mm-hmm. that we think that we've prescribed to God? And, and how much... Death, do we offer people because we refuse to do something because the law tells us not to? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that somehow God wants us to follow right. some really weird law that right. we created versus giving someone life. The emotional damage it does to people, the emotional harm it does to religiously manipulate people because of a law that humans created, mm-hmm. is it, yep. it, Jesus would be f- furious
3: at us. And 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 part of his anger is they're silent. Yeah. They're quiet. They don't have an answer. They don't have. They're. They're not going to fall into this trap. They've set a trap for Jesus, and he sets it back onto them and says, "Well, this great moral question." And they're silent in the midst of this. Um, that seems to be what also precipitates this. This frustration and this anger.
2: If you we'll give you a little Methodist, um, uh, connection (laughs) here, Evie. Um, but we, we have in the Methodist tradition, the three general rules from John Wesley, uh, do no harm, do all the good you can and attend upon the ordinances of God, or sometimes shortened to stay in love with God. But those first two are in an order for a reason that it's first do no harm, Mm -hmm. then do all the good you can. So let's, let's put in this context that the rules that these folks were following were great, were good. They actually were the right rules. They were the right, you know, this 24, hour, whatever it is. Let's, let's assume that was good, but doing good that way, if it first does harm is no longer good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so it's not necessarily a, you know, a referendum on their law. It's recognizing that maybe, maybe the law isn't complete. Maybe the law isn't the end that we first have to look at how to do no harm. And by doing no harm, we then do more good than we would have otherwise. Right.
3: So Rabbi Kay, I mentioned him in this podcast a few months ago. He came in the, in the fall to talk to our uh, confirmands, and they asked such great questions of him, and he just did a great job presenting the, the Hebrew faith. And he talked about dietary laws and Sabbath laws in that frame of mind. And right away, I was thinking, man, Rabbi Kay, you're a Methodist. Because he said, he, he said for, for them, like, all of that is, if there's life in danger, yes, you'd work and save someone's life. If someone's life is in danger, then you do this thing. Like mm-hmm. life is more important. And what I think is fascinating about I, the, the word that psyche is used there is I'm pretty sure ancient Greeks, non-textual Christian Greeks, but they use that word for also thinking about soul, mm-hmm. right? And and so there's, there's even a broader, more, a deeper understanding of, of this, of what Jesus is talking about there um, that's fascinating.
1: And that same word, when Jesus says, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. The word is also not his being alive. He's not just talking about his death on the cross that kills his body. He says, Psyche, I came to give my soul and mm-hmm. my emotional well being and all of my thoughts and feelings as a ransom. So I think that mm-hmm. there's a really beautiful tra- um, thing that transpires here in that Jesus is willing to give of himself emotionally. To restore someone else emotionally, yeah. even yeah. though it's a physical healing, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's a really great question for us: is what does it look like when we give sacrificially, emotionally? Like, how do we make that sacrifice as Jesus does? And is that sometimes more
2: costly than physical sacrifice? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we use that that term of like, "Oh, I'll throw myself in front of a train for someone," or whatever it might be, um, but you know chances are we don't have that opportunity very often i don't know right. how often throwing yourself in front of a train really helps you anyone. you can only really do it once but to to labor emotionally for someone right that's that's powerful.
0: It uh-huh. is powerful, especially in our culture today. That's so driven towards, and I'm not, I'm not denigrating self care. I'm not, mm-hmm. but in some spaces, we're starting to use this idea of self care actually as a defense mechanism yes. against mm-hmm. emotionally laboring with someone. Yep, yeah. um, and it and it becomes it. What Jesus would say, self care is, as we said the the last time, being lonely, going mm-hmm. off and doing your doing your work and being with Jesus and things like that. We were using self care as a defense mechanism to to actually just keep ourselves from other
3: people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You did that hand motion. That's what I think about too is, is I have friends who have, they're so good at setting boundaries that there, there's no opportunity because it's, this is my day off or this is this time. And, and I'm not going to be emotionally, physically, spiritually available to be there with people that, that there's this, there's there's too rigid of, of lines when it comes mm-hmm. for, for some aspects of self care. Not that we should hurt each other, right? ourselves. You
2: create no, a whole new other set of the law. Right. I mean, right. it's yeah. it's exactly. did, 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 if, when we look at this law, I don't know, was it put in place to protect the Pharisees so they got a day off? I don't know, <laughs> right. right? So so is it missing the point by creating right. boundaries that might have had good intentions to begin with?
3: Right
0: right because it started mm-hmm. with with Jesus saying mm-hmm. or God saying in creation yeah, take sabbath and exactly. make it holy right. to be with me and so mm-hmm. that looks different than necessarily you know all the different ways we prescribed it
1: and so i think i think the best way to sort of tie up what everyone has said is that mark introduces the story of Jesus as the beginning mm-hmm. of the good news meaning it's mm-hmm. just where we start mm. It doesn't have to be what's carved in stone where we end. Mm -hmm. We don't have to make a whole new law code, but what if we take this story and we allow it to be the beginning?